0: In 1895, the state
1: of Ohio had only two automobiles. And wouldn't you know it, they collided.
2: (laughs) So, (laughs) who knows what kind of collision we're going to have in the days ahead.
3: If you dare vote for a decree that God finds abominable and murderous. You will answer to him. God's curse is upon you. How dare you, how dare you defy him?
4: Strange women lying in ponds distributing swords is no basis for a system of government. When is the time for justice? The time is now. I'm tired of waiting for incremental solutions that never make any increments and never bring solutions. So when is the time for justice? It's now.
0: I said to every sinner, God broke the law for love.
4: What you just
1: said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard.
3: If the court in a nation is the highest authority, then you found a God. If the people. Are the highest authority? Then you found another god. If if there is no transcendent law governing over this nation or any other nation, then you found another god. It's never too early to learn that the government is a greedy piglet that suckles
0: on a taxpayer's teat until they have sore-chapped nipples. Take the guns first. Go through due process second. Please clap.
2: Just as the church has an obligation to be Christian just as the family has an obligation to be christian just so the school has an obligation to be christian and the state and your calling and the school every area of life
0: must recognize christ as lord and savior
3: Welcome to Cross and Crown Radio, an unapologetically Christian Reconstructionist talk show. For your edification and your enjoyment, That Jesus Christ is the King of Kings, and because of that, there is no neutrality, no exile, and no surrender. My name is Jason. I'm here with Jordan and John. Howdy, howdy. What's up? We are in the dungeon here for another episode. Episode number nine, is it? Yep. I almost lost track three episodes for us,
2: left in season two, baby. Three more episodes,
3: wow. as is our custom. Yeah, we'll have three more. Then we're gonna take a break. Come back for season three. Um, just to kind of give us all a breather. We have some awesome new things planned for season three. Yes, indeed. We do. You guys doing okay today? Doing living great. Living the dream. Doing Live, great. It's been, a good, dream. it's been a good week. You know, here in Northern Virginia, it is... Well, here's my hope. Because, you know, the leaves are starting to subtly change. But it's so it's been hot. <laughs> Still. I'm, I'm ready for the actual autumn. Real fall yeah. would be great. It's supposed to cool off, thankfully, in the next couple of days. But it's been, yeah, it's been warm Hashtag thankful Yes, indeed And I do love fall It's one of my favorite seasons Despite the pumpkin spice latte fiasco That is always the case (laughs) It's a good time It's a good time You're not very basic, Pastor? Nope Mm -hmm. No. Mm -hmm. Actually, I more prefer the peppermint mocha Oh, jeez I'm that guy You would Yeah Anyway, <laughs> well, hey, thank you, listeners, for tuning in to us. Thank you for joining us for another episode. We have so much stuff to cover tonight, so much stuff, lots of, um, lots of stuff in the news, especially coming out of Dallas. Uh, we're going to get to that in the second half with uh, just some recent news from Botham Jean. I pronounced that right, I believe. Uh, he was killed by a police officer. He was in his own apartment. She came in, thought apparently it was her apartment. He was shot. He was killed, and the verdict was just announced that she was going to spend ten years in prison. So there's a lot of stuff there, a whole lot of stuff that yeah. we'll get to um, when the time is right, because there's just a, a ton of a ton of media attention and a lot of things we should be thinking about as Christians, most definitely. But before that, though, I want to read. I don't know if you guys saw this or not. We got a really cool recommendation on Facebook from a gentleman, Ben Peckover. He's from Down Under, another Aussie. He, Down under. He gave us a great review on Facebook. N- nailed so. it, Jordan. That was perfect. <laughs> That's what <laughs> I'm here for. Under. He said, first time I listened today, great to hear you addressing the topic of vaccines. Uh-oh, that one. <laughs> Something that has been taboo in the church for too long and the narrative largely controlled by mainstream media and politicians who are in turn controlled by the industry, which is corrupt. We agree. I personally know vaccine damaged people. Thank you for addressing this very important topic. Soli Deo Gloria. Amen, thanks. And that's just
2: another uh, example. There's so many bits of feedback that we just continue to get and and keep coming in. And it's just, you know, emblematic of what a big issue this is.
3: Yeah, it it really is. It's it's, there's so much silence in the church on it. And and we kind of wanted to smash that or as in our words, end the silence because it is an issue we need to think about if the gospel does affect the entirety of our being the entirety of culture and institutions then we should we should address it so we've done our our homework i know jordan you and i spent a ton of research on that issue and still more still more to learn
2: yeah and one of the next things is how do we talk about this in our local churches what's a what's a good way of starting that conversation and uh, something that uh, else we're going to talk about today with the Fellowship of Christian Reconstructionist Churches. Um, there's a statement that's been released on vaccination, and uh, that can definitely get the conversation going.
3: Yes, it will very much. So we'll we'll read that just in in a yeah. minute. Yeah, go. <laughs> what were you going <laughs> to say? As
1: far as I know, this is this is the first nomination or presbytery or, or what have you. Uh, of Orthodox churches to release any kind of statement on vaccines, as far as I, as far as I know, yeah.
2: I, I have heard of individual churches uh, here and there releasing statements, and usually it's something to the in in the wrong in the wrong way, uh, right? Sort of a a cow-towing to the state like sort of statement. sort of
1: false view of Romans thirteen sort of yeah,
2: yeah yeah. But but as far as a denomination, I mean, most don't want to touch it with a ten foot pole because of how divisive it is but that's not in itself a reason not to address an issue right We when we when we stop addressing ethical judicial issues because oh that could be divisive well all you're doing is pointing out that there already is the division going on you're just not addressing it
3: right well there's false peace that has to be disrupted right and that's you know it's a process it's painful at times but it's part of what it means to grow and mature to be you know, hearers and doers of the word. We want to we wanna deal with the issue. So anyway, thanks, Ben, for that for that comment. We yep. definitely have, um, have appreciated the response. By and large, people feel like, hey, the church is speaking up, and, and we wanted that. We want people to feel heard. We want them to know that the church does care, even though maybe it doesn't seem like it. But there are a lot of Christians, thousands and thousands, if not millions, across the world who have been impacted by the vaccine industry in not a positive way. And so for us, you know, we are compelled by biblical law to, to deal with that, to deal with what it means to be a victim of what we can clearly see as an overreach from the government. So anyhow, yeah, you mentioned it, Jordan. Let's just jump into that. The FCRC, the Fellowship of Christian Reconstructionist Churches, that has been a collaborative effort. Really, that's been going on for some time. Uh, what I'm going to do is later on at the end of the episode, we'll play the video. Well, it'll be audio for you listeners, but you can see what we've been working on um, for that in our announcement. But the FCRC really was kind of something we just saw a need. We felt like we needed to address it. There's a, um, I think this is by and large, a, I think it's a problem in a lot of ways, but you have people who may be abolitionists that, that, that are fighting against the sin of abortion they're out there kind of feeling alone, rejected by the church. Um, you know, you have missionaries who may not fit into the normal mold of a denomination. You have churches that aren't really connected to a denomination because there are bureaucratic issues. I mean, there, there's lots of layers to it. So we decided, hey, we need to start something.
2: And when we say we, multiple churches got together because and if you back up even from a higher level, this issue really is about a problem in the church at large in America and, and in other countries, I'm sure, is this impotence of the mini temple planting model, what we talked about, um, the, the sort of idea that you plant churches to plant churches to plant other churches. And what we actually do in church is we meet on Sunday, we get together, we sing some songs, we preach from a passage in scripture, we all go home back to our sort of secular lives. Now, you know, there's varying degrees in that spectrum of different kinds of churches that may do that to one degree or another. But by and large, there is this toxic problem where the church in, in America is impotent because they're not planting Christian civilization. They're sort of forced to try and pay the pastor's salary, pay for the building, pay for all the programs so that people will enjoy the Sunday service. But then, what are they doing in terms of social welfare? Because that is a function of the church. What are they doing in terms of education? Mm-hmm. Helping people who would love to give their children a Christian education, but they're having trouble affording it. Um, <clears throat> what are they doing for helping each other in business? What are they doing in the arts and other areas? If we're looking at the kingdom of God encompassing all of life and the church is that advancing army that's going out to bring everything under under um, Christ's feet As we disciple the nations to obey God's law, um, how can we do that if we have this once a week sort of mentality and we're planting churches just to plant churches to plant churches? They last a, a generation or two and they fizzle out. Right. How many churches around your area do you know that are still orthodox and have been around for 100 years or more? You know, if a church is around for 100 years or more and they start out with 10 families, that church should have hundreds and hundreds of people in it. They're very rare. Um, or you have the big mega seeker sensitive churches that are vanilla. They they won't touch anything controversial. They'll just tell you feel good messages, mm-hmm. and they're actually causing a vacuum in Christendom, where we abandon the cultural issues and in step secularism, and it eats up our next generation because we fail to touch those issues.
4: So it's it really yes. is.
2: So the things you mentioned are important are important. But just backing up from an even a, a bigger perspective, like the church is in trouble with this church planting, church planting, church planting, versus advancing, sustaining, planting, advancing, and sustaining Christian civilization, which is sort of the motto behind the Fellowship of Reconstructionist Churches.
3: Yes, that's our that's the that's the motto. That's our vision, and and planting, advancing, sustaining, um, those are obviously words that are important. They're verbs. <laughs> we're supposed to yeah. do something with them uh planting obviously involves a whole lot of of concept you think of like metaphorically just planting something in the soil you, you want it to grow you want it to advance but the, the thing is too jordan with that one we called it the fellowship for a reason. The, right. There is no central office. There's no address where you're gonna, you know, find, you know, the secret meeting behind closed doors of, you know, the board who has control over all these other churches and missionaries and people. Um, it's it's meant to be a decentralized fellowship, a cooperative, if you will, where we are working and laboring towards this end that is Christian civilization. And you know, <laughs> you 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 did a beautiful job, a masterful job of explaining really the problem with what we can call the MIC, right? The ministry industrial complex, where, you know, two hours of your life each week is dedicated to quote unquote kingdom work. And then the rest of your week is just, you know, off doing whatever it is you're doing. And, and, you know, um, a naysayer might say, you know, that's a bit much you guys and your post-millennially, stuff you know you're 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 really like a lot of good things happen on sunday you know people connect over donuts and coffee and the kids get you know to color a picture of noah's ark yes that's sarcastic (laughs) (laughs) but but the naysayer
2: it is is true that good things do happen at at lots of churches that are Part of this this model that's failing. <laughs> yes,
3: but the, but that's the issue. Right. This is getting to the heart of the model, mm-hmm. and the heart of the model is is we have to be advancing. We have to be planting, advancing, and sustaining something. Right. And right now we're just doing it in yeah. in Pietism land. Yeah. <laughs> that's what we're that's what we're doing. Agreed. So the faith for all of life has a there's a reason for it. There's a there's a point to to it. We don't just say that. We mean it. Um, confessionally, you know, our our people. Are in the Reformed camp, um, affirming the Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed. We obviously the definition of Chalcedon. Those are important things that we want. Sure, uh, just to, to, be, affirm.
2: to be clear, anybody at any of these churches, if you are a Christian, a professing believer who is not guilty of excommunicable sin, you are welcome to fellowship. You don't have to wear a label. You don't have to call yourself a postmillennialist or reconstructionist or anything like that. At, at the individual churches that make up, you know, you are. Uh, if you are in Christ's body, which is the universal church, you are—we are obligated to welcome you, and we we would love to welcome you at, at any and all of our churches. But in terms of like why use the term reconstruction? Well, what do we want to do? We want to reconstruct. We want to rebuild all of society on the word of God, just like the Great Commission tells mm-hmm. us to teach the nations, to disciple them in the law of God. And so that's a prerequisite for sort of a church's fellowship in the. Um, FCRC, but as far as, you know, local churches, complete and utter freedom to come and fellowship and break bread together.
1: Amen. Amen. Yeah. I, I think the the development of the FCRC, everything that you just said, uh, very, very true. And I think it also stresses the importance of doing life together as Christians. And that mm-hmm. is a really cliche sounding thing, mm-hmm. right? Doing life together. <laughs> um, but, but it's also true. and I don't think we're meant to be isolated from one another, but there's also been this tendency to use that sort of good and true idea to become overly institutionalized and tyrannical and to overly stress like the, the powers and the rights of church elders to the point of them taking upon way too much power for themselves. Mm-hmm. But we still want to affirm the importance of community and fellowship and that isn't synonymous with elders lording over you, though we believe in elders. So there's that tension, mm-hmm. and I think it's a good you know, healthy tension almost, where we do want to affirm the importance of community and accountability and church discipline and eldership, while at the same time recognizing that, for the most part, a lot of what the church has been doing isn't correct, or at least there's a kernel of truth and has been corrupted and twisted to one degree or another.
3: Right. And, um, and that, I know, I know sometimes that can be, you know, for many years I, I rolled with the X29 network and, you know, there was this impulse toward planting and, and the thing that kind of sold me on it was that impulse. Like they, they would speak a lot about missionary activity, you know, the, the mission of God and mission of God and, you know, this was back when guys like Ed Stetzer and, right. and even N.T. Wright. And there were so many of these folks who were talking about the missional word. That was a buzzword. And there's a lot of good. I use that word from time to time. Sure. Just because it's a buzzword doesn't
1: mean it's yeah. bad. And, and it's good to define. <laughs> it also too. doesn't mean it's good. Yes.
3: Right. And the definition, though, I think in a lot of ways, it just became like cooler, hipper church service planting is right. what it
2: became. Well, here's the problem with when you mentioned, you know, do life together. You mentioned missional. The problem is what are you doing? Like I've been in I've been in churches like that 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 sort of recognize rightly, okay, we need to make this more about the Sunday service, obviously. Like that does click at times. Right. So they think, okay, well we got to we got to get together and we got to in, get into the community and we got to invite people to our culture. Problem, we
3: don't have a culture outside yeah. of the Sunday service. Doing
1: life together doesn't That's mean it saying hello to people in the church lobby before the church service.
3: And Jordan, that man, that was masterful. What you just said, because it resonates so deeply with me because you have people that are well intentioned. They talk about missional community groups and those things can be good. Um, because it's kind of like a rehash small group. <laughs> it can be. But a lot of times in the good that they do is they talk about, you know, neighborhood evangelism or getting to know people and, and those things. And those are all good and true. But the culture, that's where it's basically right. impotent because the culture is, you know, the guy on stage who wants to sound like Mark Driscoll, dressed in, you know, tight jeans in a killer band. Yeah. What is? Well, that's not really a culture that's going to do anything for justice and righteousness in the world
2: like you know you can get together and you can have a small group and then you can say okay we've got to invite the community in to be come to our barbecue or something but you realize the people that you're in the same church with i mean you don't do schooling with them you don't do business with them you don't you know do life together you don't you don't actually because the church again has made these issues of education and business and you know, so many other issues, not part of the mission of the church. And so people go into the world completely separately. And I understand there's some aspects of this that just have to happen, but there's, there's very little participation and cooperation in the day-to-day things, training up your children together. We all send them to public school right? or disjointed processes. Maybe there's a co-op, you know, usually the, the, the Christian co-op at the church is the is, is the one thing they have that they have a bit of culture on, and some churches, the ones I didn't didn't have much of that to speak of. But again, how are you going to invite the world to view your culture? Come look at our culture. Well, you don't really know each other that well. You might like do not like. Don't get me wrong. These folks will do nice things for you. They will, um, if you're in the body of Christ, they will uh, bring you a meal if you're sick or if you know you've had a child, and they're they're faithful those kinds of things. But you don't actually know them that well because you're not actually doing things you're not going out and doing evangelism evangelism with them on a regular basis or the other things i mentioned
1: activism on, on a regular basis right and we're, we're not yeah. saying that no other churches have done good things with their communities <laughs> right? Yeah, right, right not even close no uh, i i do think though that most churches most fellowships Um, Even some of the best ones, they're not being intentional about what they're doing. It's almost accidental or they just so happen to have the right mixture of personalities where they're able to foster a good community. And God bless them. That's awesome. I know I've experienced really great community in churches that I don't have a lot of theological unity with them. Um, What we're trying to do is a cohesive, consistent vision where we're intentionally building not just uh, fellowship and sort of this this vague informal way but civilization mm-hmm. so it's all-encompassing and fellowship is obviously an important part of that but it's not all of that and i like how you how you mentioned jason you kind of come from the Acts 29 crowd and i come from uh a, i guess a couple different crowds but i spend a lot of time with like the aha crowd and abortion activists and they're sort of known for being anti-church at least that's what a lot of people would say of them Mm -hmm. and i think that's largely untrue um but there is also again kind of this kernel of truth where there are some who aren't a part of any fellowship aren't a part of any sort of community and sometimes that's justified sometimes it makes sense like looking at their circumstances other times it doesn't And one thing I really want to stress with FCRC is that you can go and be in community with one another. You can fellowship with one another. You can have uh, good teaching. You can have doctrinal standards. You can be orthodox and you don't have to be some sort of ecclesiocrat tyrant. Mm -hmm. Like that doesn't necessitate one or the other because we don't want to follow and fall into either of these ditches. And there are people that have been mistreated and abused and neglected in local churches and they've turned their back on the local churches. And I think that's a dang shame.
3: Yeah. And philosophically, like what you touched on is the issue of the one and the many. And that's where I think a lot of centralized bureaucracy problems come in with denominations. Cause you know, people will call this, well, you're a denomination. Well, maybe we're not calling ourselves that because we don't have a, we don't want to sacrifice the many for the one. We want the one to serve the many. Like, so these, like you said, the vision, the doctrinal, you know, we have clarifying statements. By right. the way, we didn't mention this yet, but reconchurches.com. That's where you free dot Reconchurches.com. But so we want, like, sure, ch- and even that's true in churches. Like, we don't want to sacrifice the many of the Christians there for the sake of the one, whether that's an elder or a pastor or even, you know, the brand. Right. We want people to be about advancing the kingdom of God. the The right and duty, the right and
1: duty of private judgment, correct, is vital. But that doesn't mean that corporate fellowship and worship. And a loving community isn't also important. Mm -hmm. And I think they they have to work together or else you're missing it. And we could talk on and all about this. (laughs) But there is like a Trinitarian nature of it. And you you mentioned it, Jason, like the one of the many aspect. Uh, This is a reflection of the nature of God and how we should interact with one another. And you can't let the the collectivist mindset overcome the individualist. But you also can't let the individualist mindset overcome the collective. And it works together in unity. It has to.
3: Yep. So always keeping that in front of you is is important. So we have some clarifying statements on the website. We talk about abolitionism, the doctrine of of abolitionism, um, which we've, you know, we've talked about that on this show before. Uh, You can go to abolition101.com and you can read that. There's a statement there. We'd love for you to to obviously to sign it. I think this might be one of the first denominations in
1: perhaps 100 years that actually officially affirms abolitionism as a doctrine. Yeah, there probably wasn't a <laughs> denomination back in the day, but it's been a while.
3: Yeah, maybe some of the the, the uh, covenanters of old that we've referenced. I before. think so.
1: Maybe some Irish covenanters,
3: yeah. what have you. Yeah, there's a, some state statement: the Adam and Eve declaration, uh, family, gender roles, and marriage. We have a statement on on statism, local church membership. Um, what does elder authority look like? And of course, you know, a statement on continuationism and cessationism. Uh, which is an age-old debate on the spiritual gifts and some things there. Obviously, the education of tr- children needs to be rooted in Christian thinking and the biblical worldview. Um, covenant signs, so baptism and the Lord's supper, and then we have this statement we mentioned earlier, Jordan. If you wanted to give that a give that a go, we can talk about the vaccination statement. You know, why why did we put it there?
2: Yeah. So let me go ahead and read the statement. A biblically faithful view of the civil sphere as well as the ecclesiastical sphere provides no jurisdiction for civil magistrates or ecclesiastical authorities to mandate or in any way coerce parents to inject vaccines or any other substance into their children. Any civil or ecclesiastical authority who attempts to mandate that parents vaccinate their children, whether through any form of public banishment, fine, imprisonment, or other forms of coercion, are acting tyrannically and are in grievous sin." Any attempt to impede fellowship in the body for the unvaccinated by a believer is divisiveness, and unless repented of, of, is grounds for excommunication. We affirm that quarantine of the sick is biblical and wise practice, and that it is sinful to knowingly expose others to what is known to be a contagious disease. We deny that the unvaccinated can be assumed to carry diseases for which they have not been vaccinated. So that's the statement. And Mm. I'd say the reason that we put it in there is because churches need to get out ahead of this issue. We already have instances where the uh, state is picking its nose into the family where it doesn't belong and into the church. Rockland County, New York was a great example where they basically banned any, anyone with unvaccinated children from the public, meaning and explicitly stating even church services. And so pastors in Rockland County who have unvaccinated in their communities had a decision-make, am I going to obey Christ or Caesar? And, you know, the more that churches can get out in front of this and tell the state, look, you, you can put whatever ban you want. We are not dividing our fellowship over this. And, you know, don't try to make it about quarantine because we already believe in quarantine. Anybody who has a, a serious infectious disease should be at home and shouldn't be infecting others with. But right. for for 2000 years, the church has existed prior to the advent of vaccination and has had unvaccinated um you know, fellowships with with children and with with um, a, adults, and the state is going to step in now and say, "Hey, you've been doing this this way for two thousand years, but now we're going to say that you can't allow the unvaccinated to uh, to participate in your in your weekly fellowship gatherings." So it's important. The church has to yeah. stand up on this issue. Which just have you know, no matter what you're, if you're pro-vaccine, fine, vaccinate. But it has to. You have to draw the line here.
3: Have to. Yeah and by getting getting out of head of it this statement is a long long overdue long overdue <laughs> so, yes. i mean we're here we're we're, we're making the statement yeah. but you know it's just important for us to be faithful to the scriptures to the point that we are speaking to these these issues right we and just, we just have to
2: and a great way to start the discussion in your church is to take this statement and take it to the leaders in your church and discuss it with them and to take it to others in your church and discuss it with them because it's very important and it's only going to get more important yes and church let's not be johnny come lately to this issue like we have been on so many other issues let's not wait till you know the state is mandatorily you know vaccinating adults and children and everybody and it's a crisis until we actually start to respond to this kind of stuff
3: yeah definitely well we also have a statement on u.s chattel slavery racism kinism and interracial marriage you can find that Um, There at the website, important statements, uh, especially given the topic we're going to deal with in the next in the next uh, segment, Segment. just in terms of race relations in America, the history and, and some of those issues. So Please, by all means, go to ReconChurches.com. Take a look at that, all right? Oh, would you
1: look at this? <laughs> yeah, well, would you look at that?
2: <laughs> yeah, just take a look
3: at it. Just take a look at the website. What What the heck was that? Just... <laughs> our, our both, uh... One of our favorite guys. No, you can uh, go to the website. Check us out on Facebook. I'm just going to edit that out. <laughs> No, no, I, no No, leave it in just leave People it. can look just, up Ed just, Bassmaster Just look at it Yeah, you can look at it It's a funny funny little uh, montage, if you will
1: It's been like the joke of the month <laughs> And it's, well, joke of last month, I suppose Yeah, too. technically
3: <laughs> Anyway, check us out on Facebook Go to and Crown Radio And please leave us a review if you feel so led You can, uh, We'll read it on read it on air for you And uh, that's it We'll be right back in a minute Unreal And I gotta tell you this show
1: you in this <laughs> And and do. Jude in second Peter chapter 2 tells you all what you should do They glory in shame, they got is their belly And trust me, the end is destruction Blaspheme Christ's name, they do it for gain They preaching their soul and corruption If we don't preach the truth, then they'll never know If they stay under rules, then they'll never grow We got our minds made up soon as we hit the dough And we can't keep this secret, and so we let them know They telling y'all the soul, just so y'all can read. Jeremiah 23, they trying to start a sheep if we don't be control,
0: then they never
2: know, and we can't keep it secret. Presenting Telos Coffee Roasters, the official coffee of Cross and Crown Radio. Telos exclusively chooses specialty grade coffee to derive the highest flavor potential from beans sourced all over the world, culminating in deliciously roasted coffee for your enjoyment. Visit our website at www.teloscoffeeroasters.com to peruse an array of delightful blends or even purchase a subscription. Telos Coffee, where it's our purpose to deliver coffee you'll enjoy.
1: It's what's the Sunday's Look, I ain't gonna wait till the beat drop. I'm gonna get it while it's warm and start to form this heat rock. I speak classic complex progressions, my whole flow is bebop. I bless demographics with lessons, cause my bars are sheep rock. That's hard, these scars gon' get me till the treetop. I'm different now, but I used to keep my eye on tail like peacocks. Changed my perspective, got so negative on what line I eavesdropped. Flitched to the main one, then refrain from all the names that pee popped. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need.
3: 25 through 32. Amen. Amen. Indeed. Welcome back to Cross and Crown Radio. We are in our second segment here. Um, Really kind of want to jump in because we have a lot of ground to cover, so we're not going to mince words and we're just going to get to it. Um, And and Jordan, I think you want to just kind of kick us off with a little bit of introduction for the topic at hand.
2: Yeah. So we're going to be talking about the shooting of, them Jean, and that happened uh, recently, and then there was a, a court decision. So I'm going to be reading from an article from Fox 17 out of Dallas. A white former Dallas police officer who said she fatally shot her unarmed black neighbor after mistaking his apartment for her own was found guilty of murder on Tuesday. A jury reached the verdict in Amber Geiger's high profile trial for the killing of Botham Jean after six days of witness testimony, but just a handful of hours of deliberation. The basic... The basic facts of the unusual shooting were not in dispute throughout the trial. In September of 2018, Geiger walked up to Jean's apartment, which was on the fourth floor directly above hers on the third, and found the door unlocked. She was off duty, but still dressed in her police uniform after a long shift when she had shot Jean with her service weapon. The 26 year old accountant had been eating a bowl of ice cream before Geiger entered her home. Jean, who grew up in the Caribbean island nation of St. Lucia, came to the U.S. for college and started his career as an accountant. He, his shooting drew widespread attention because of the strange circumstance and because it was was one in a string of shootings of unarmed black men by white police officers. Geiger was arrested three days after the killing. She was later fired and charged with murder, but only spoke publicly about the shooting upon taking the witness stand last Friday. Tension has been high during the trial in Dallas, the same city where an attack on attacked three years ago killed five police officers the 31 year old tearfully apologized for killing Jean and told the jurors she feared for her life upon finding the door uh, finding the door to what she thought was her apartment unlocked. Geiger said that Jean came out toward her at a fast walk when she entered with her gun out but prosecutor prosecutors have suggested he was just rising from a couch toward the back of the room when the officer shot him. In a frantic 911 call played repeatedly during the trial, Geiger said, I thought it was my apartment nearly 20 times. Her lawyers argued that the identical physical appearance of the apartment complex from floor to floor frequently led to tenants to the wrong apartments. Anyways, this is the gist of the article. So, Mm. You know this this police officer woman. She's coming home ostensibly from a long day uh, on a long shift, and she goes to the wrong apartment. Her, instead of going to her, to her apartment, it's one floor up, same sort of number, but just the wrong floor. She goes in, according to her, puts her key in, it opens a little bit, and she hears something, uh, what she thinks is a threat on the other side of the door, and she's scared, so she opens the door takes out her uh, her sidearm, sees uh, a man, but she can't figure out because it's dark. The man is uh, walking towards her. She says, um, let me see your hands, let me see your hands two times. She shoots him in the chest. Uh, one shot goes through his chest. He dies of his injuries. And hmm. I mean, so that's the the situation. So we have uh, yeah. the, the following court battle where It's a, you know, the question is, you know, was this a murder or not? And you've got all sorts of opinions flying all over the place about what should have happened. So what we saw after that was the brother of the deceased actually address Amber Geiger, the shooter. Right. And and forgive her. And that's what we're going to hear in a minute, that drama play out.
4: I don't want to say twice or for the hundredth time what you've or how much you've taken from us. I think you know that. But I just I hope you go to God with all what all the guilt all the think the bad things you may have done in the past each and every one of us may have done something that we're not supposed to do if you truly are sorry, I know I can speak for myself i I forgive you and I know if you go to God and ask Him, He will forgive you, and I don't think anyone could say it again. I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family, but I love you just like anyone else, and I'm not gonna say I hope you rot and die. Just like my brother did, but I see i I personally want the best for you, and i I wasn't gonna ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you because. I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not gonna say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? So he,
3: he gets up and he goes right over to her and he gives her a hug. And she's
2: just sobbing yeah. as they're hugging for like a long time. And it's this very powerful moment. No matter what your opinion of it is, the raw emotion of it was a thing to behold
3: yeah and be sure to check it out we posted the video on our crossing crown radio page so go check it out it is a tearjerker it's a powerful moment it's a moment that you know i'm not it wasn't me so but it still catches you you know and and so you you know (laughs) it's it's powerful it's a tearjerker
1: it really is um you can even see the judge like in the background and she's crying as well. So it it really is a powerful video and it should be just clearly stated that we as Christians are called to forgive others. And the the fact that we're called to forgive others means that there are guilty people (laughs) like Mm -hmm. it implies guilt. It, him showing grace towards her, and his sort of Christ like attitude implies as its basis that she needed grace. That means she was guilty. So it doesn't mean that she's not guilty. And I think that has to be very clearly stated because there, there is actually a little bit of controversy right. surrounding this video. And there's a lot of context surrounding this as well. So there are a few things that I think we really want to go over because we could talk about the details of the case. And we could spend easily an hour, hours, (laughs) hours and hours talking about the 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 details of this case, because there's there's lots of controversy. There's talk of uh, corruption with uh, Dallas police Mm -hmm. and um, uh, the crime scene was corrupted in some way or and, and there's all sorts of different things that we could discuss that could have been done better. She was actually convicted of murder, which is frankly incredibly surprising to me, Um, not only because she's a police officer, officer, but because of the circumstances of the of the trial of the case, Um, how her plea was of self-defense. And typically, any time a police officer says, I feared for my life, it's pretty much a rubber stamp. Yeah. Innocent, yeah, It is. Um, and so that was something I was deeply surprised to hear. And, and frankly, I was, I was glad to see it. Uh, part of me is always hesitant because uh, I'm, I'm drawn to the forgiveness almost. Right. And we're going to talk about that because uh, I think there are some really important distinctions, but God's law is not unclear on this. And mm-hmm. I think this case in particular has some wrenches in it, if you will. So I don't want to dismiss people's um wrong opinions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think it is actually fairly clear in this case. So that murder conviction was really incredibly surprising to me. And then the sentencing was ten years. Right. Ten years T- in prison. Ten years. So on one hand I was like, okay. A murder uh, conviction—that's surprising. Uh, I think I think that's actually closer to God's law than most of the time, right? Most of the time, what we see, especially in cases involving uh, police officers, but then ten years for a murder conviction—is that normal at all? Is this how it actually happens? And then, then I was looking up some statistics, and it's not only thousands, not only tens of thousands, it's hundreds of thousands of nonviolent criminals are in prison for. Decades and decades yeah. and decades, even many of them on life sentences for nonviolent crimes that aren't even against God's law in a, in a criminal sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, very well could be against God's law in a uh, kind of a, a spiritual sense in, in the realm of
3: jurisdiction of the church, but definitely not a crime. Right. And not even against the Constitution. We have illegal searches and, and different things that end up happening where it just kind of a got you moment where it trips people up and then they're locked in. Locked right. in jail forever. Right. Exactly. But
1: uh, Jordan, I think you have some good information on yeah. this because this idea of is this a actual murder or not is really important because right. we're theonomists. We want to look at God's law. We actually want to dig into right. this and say what does God word what does God's word actually say about this?
2: Yeah, because we need to be careful not to get our morality from what the current U.S. legal codes says it says right. it's murder right um, they
1: might it might be making distinctions that god's law ever does make
2: exactly and the u.s legal code as it constitutes now is very much hit and miss right it either gets <laughs> some a few, a few things right but it just whiffs on a whole lot of other things so it's not a it's not the final standard you know we have to look to biblical law an objective transcendent morality and so let's take a look at what the bible has to say and the Bible has quite a bit to say about uh, murder and when um, it's actually quite complex like and sophisticated. Like, yeah. you know, um, there's a difference made between manslaughter and between um, first degree murder and uh, maybe not the same terminology that we typically think of when we hear it in the U.S. Code. But anyways, let's take a look at a few passages. So we're going to start here in Deuteronomy chapter 19, uh, verse four and following. Says If anyone kills his neighbor unintentionally without having hated him in the past, as when someone goes out into the forest with his neighbor to cut wood, and his hand swings the axe to cut down a tree, and the head slips from the handle and strikes his neighbor so that he dies, he may flee to one of these cities and live, lest the Avenger of Blood and Hot Anger pursue the Manslayer and overtake him. Because the way is long and strike him fatally, though the man did not deserve to die, since he had not hated his neighbor in the past. Okay, so mm. what this we have to, as theonomists, pull out the transcendent principle from what we're hearing here in God's law, and what we're seeing is that in situations where it's an accidental death, where somebody has not made the decision, I'm going to exert deadly force on this person, they're swinging the axe, the axe, you know, t- in a twist of of fate, f- flails off and. The other guy gets killed by it. It's a complete accident. You know, nobody's at fault, and there's no evidence that this guy, um, you know, had it out for him in the past or had an agenda against him in the past. That is a manslaughter. You have shed innocent blood, but you're not culpable because it was an accident essentially, right. and there was no hatred behind it. And so the Bible makes very clear in that case there is to be no. Uh, you're not. You're not committing murder. You're not to be killed uh, or executed for that. It's a it's an in, it's an involuntary manslaughter. Okay, so now let's uh, take that and look at Exodus 22. Here's another passage: If a thief is co- is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. But if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. He shall surely pay if he has nothing. Then he shall be sold for his theft. So transcendent principle here are that certain presumptions are allowed to be made in certain limited situations about what someone's intent is. In this case, the robber who's broken in in the middle of the night. In situations where one uh, occupies a domain and an intruder breaks in, it can be presumed that they mean harm, and that can be met with deadly force. So if you're in your house and somebody breaks in and it's nighttime, you know, you... And, and if you shoot them, with use deadly force, that is not considered murder in, in the Bible. Uh, but this is not in situations where you can flee. Okay, we'll get to this later because it has direct, direct uh, relevance to this right. Botham case. <clears throat> but in this case, where it's a justifiable voluntary m- manslaughter. So you've made the decision, okay, I'm going to use deadly force here, but that is actually authorized to defend your home and your family. Okay? Another passage, Numbers 35. Um, Let's see here. If anyone kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death on the evidence of witnesses, but no person shall be put to death on the testimony of one witness. So multiple witnesses are required, uh, and it can be a person who's uh, freely confessed. In this case, Amber Geiger, the police officer, openly and voluntarily freely confessed over and over again to everybody what she had done. There was no, very little disagreement over actually what happened. There was some, but... The essential facts of the case that she decided to kill him, she volunt- volunteered that. She didn't even like really confess it. It was just, yeah, that's what I did. Um,
3: and, and just real quick, that's, yeah. that's important for the discussion on witnesses because mm-hmm. you'll have some theonomists who will suggest, mm-hmm. well, there weren't two people physically standing there watching as right. this take place. And I don't, I don't think the Bible really makes that that clear or it demands that sort of thing. It, Not when you have corroborating evidence yeah. of things like her 911 call. Right.
2: It calls for two witnesses. It's very clear, but it, it doesn't uh, also spe- uh, specify well, but those two witnesses can't be witnesses who have heard the confession or who know about it through watching a video of it or, or other means. Um, so,
1: and this is yeah. incredibly important. Yeah. And I think <laughs> this, I mean, you talk about the verses in scripture talking about rape. For example, Mm -hmm. if she calls out and somebody actually hears her and saves her, that's going to be a rape charge and you're going to be you're going to be executed for that. But who are the witnesses? Right. You know, and that's my problem is like if all you have to do is close a door and then you can do anything you want. Right. Frankly, that's ridiculous. Yeah,
2: exactly. Or you could be (laughs) a, a flipping serial killer. And you could kill, like, theoretically, dozens of people, and just no one sees you do it. And you could go and confess to it and say, oh, I did it. Right. And this is how I did it. And this is where I did it. I did it. But if there's no... uh, You're telling me that if there's no other witnesses to that, then that person can't be convicted? No, that's reading too much specificity into the text. We we have to understand,
1: God's law is case law. It's not this highly detailed legislative process in which every right. single scenario that you can ever think of is going to be <laughs> explained in the most minute mm-hmm. detail because yeah. we can't be reading it in this wooden way right where um, every single situation has to be explicitly stated it's as if if I go into the next room with somebody and I come out of that room and the other person's dead and I have <laughs> blood all over my hands I yep. well nobody saw me
4: Right. Exactly. You
1: know, it's it's absurd. It's just absolutely absurd. And there's other places in scripture that talks about bringing forth evidences. Uh, There are explicit examples of that. And uh, it's just so in in this case, Amber (laughs) Geiger was a witness
2: against herself and everybody who heard her confess and say exactly what she did. Not under duress and not under coercion of any kind. They're witnesses to to that as well.
3: Right, because right. the principles in terms of God's law, obviously, uh, testimonies, witnesses, corroborating evidence, due process, right? So, innocent until proven guilty, that sort of thing. Right. But obviously, guilty. <laughs> yeah. So the, and I, I think your point is well taken, John. God wants us to be wise in how we apply His right. law. Exactly, and these laws really do matter, and
1: we we have to understand that this isn't some sort of. Like math equation where it's like one witness plus another witness equals guilty conviction. There has to be a trial. Yeah. <laughs> like there are there are men, wise men, judges, testimony, diligently evidence, inquiring, diligently yeah. exactly. Yeah. It's a whole That's process. What it says. Yeah. Where. They actually take God's law word and they go over God's law word and they they wrestle with it and they apply it to the individual circumstances.
2: And there also has to be the expectation that the witness knows that if they lie, they get the penalty, which they would the other person would have gotten. Correct. Absolutely. It's all supposed to work together. Yep. Right. Okay. so another important pass. One quick rabbit trail. (laughs) Uh, uh, There is a problem with forced coerced confessions. Mm hmm. And a lot of times you just take a plea deal. Um, and this is a massive problem in the criminal justice system. Let's, let's say you get caught for, for uh, selling some weed. Okay, You go and they say, look, we'll give you a year in prison as a plea deal. All you do is confess to this or you can go to trial. Almost, almost no, none of these go to very small percentage of these actually go to trial because the risk is they're going to put you away for like a long time right right and so this is a coerced confession that is not credible right and so and then there's other cases of murder where where police officers are literally lying to the uh accused making up all kinds of stories trying to pit one person against each other to try and get this this confession out of this person sometimes they They will coerce. Sometimes they'll use certain language that's threatening or just completely lie to the person. Uh, The making a murderer makes this abundantly clear with what the questioning of Brendan Dassey, if you want to see it. So that is a problem. But yeah, two independent witnesses are at least two is a principle. And this is very important. What I'm about to read, Exodus 21, this principle of uh, caring for human life. Exodus 21, when an ox gores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall be stoned, and its flesh shall be not eaten, but the owner of the ox shall not be liable. But if the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past, and its owner has been warned, but has not kept it in, and it kills a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned, and its owner also shall be put to death. Okay? So what we need to pull out of this is that the death penalty uh, requires not just malice, but also it can include a reckless disposition towards human life. Because Absolutely. a lot of the time we think, oh, well, if it's, um, you know, the the person didn't premeditate it, they didn't lie in wait, they didn't plan it out, then, well, that can't be murder. No, not true. Because as we see in this case, the person who let his ox out, he didn't want to premeditatedly kill anyone. He didn't want to um, have the person that got gored, like, that wasn't his plan. He didn't you know? talk to the ox and right. say, hey, go, 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 right? You know, I think.
1: Right. I, yeah. I think this goes to our idea of what hatred is. Yeah. I think we have an overly emotionalistic view of what hatred is. I think hatred can absolutely be an emotion. Yeah. But hatred isn't always showing malice towards somebody. Right. It it's can be not.
2: Reckless irresponsibility. In, in Deuteronomy
1: can... nineteen verse four that you've already already read. It talks about if he accidentally killed another without hating him. But what is hatred? Hatred is not abiding by the law word of God according to your brother. Yes. And if you're being negligent or if you're being too quick to be violent, even with deadly force, that is showing hatred to your brother, even if you're not showing
3: malice. Right. This is huge. Yes. Like that is the capstone of the issue here. This
2: issue here. So let me tie this back because I know we could and we're not going to go into huge detail on this. We've got a lot of other things to talk about. But in this case the officer geiger there was no weapon she didn't see a weapon in his hand she said let me see your hands let me see your hands she didn't see a weapon um she decided not to uh flee the house when she sensed that a dangerous person was in there what she called a threat and before she even opened the door she testified that she knew that there was a dangerous threat behind that door in her mind because she thought it was her apartment and she heard someone moving around in there and she at that moment could have chosen to flee this was she was not in her house. She was outside of her mm-hmm. p- domain. Right. She chose not to. Um, she, there was no intruder breaking into her house. Right. She wasn't even there. And when she opened when she decided to open the door, she didn't even go in the house. She looked in, saw the guy said, let me see your hands. Let me see your hands. And in the doorway shot him. And he wasn't running towards her. He was walking towards her, as anybody would if someone's breaking into yeah. your house. Confused. Coming to your house with on? a gun. Yeah. Um, and so claiming, I'm gonna make this clear, claiming that you were in fear for her life, which she may well have been, and she she claimed that she was, but it's not enough just to claim that you're in fear in your life so you can kill someone. That's needed. You have to be in fear for your life, but mm-hmm. on top of that, you have to actually have reasons. You can't just go around killing people because you claim that you're in fear for your life. There has to be significant reasons like seeing a deadly weapon pointed at you or like having someone break into your house while you're at home at night, like someone's threatening to murder you. Remember in that passage, it says if it's at nighttime versus when it's at daytime, there's still an obligation of you. Not just because someone walks across your property doesn't mean, oh, I got to kill them. They're trespassing. I could pop a couple shots at
1: them. It really, oh. also, like, what does it mean, like, accidentally? I and mean, I think she accidentally opened a door that didn't belong to her. That was but the she did not accidentally shoot him in the heart. Correct. That is crucial. And, unless she was fumbling around with her keys and she just so happened to pull her firearm. And she was fumbling around with her firearm and then she yeah. accidentally dropped her gun and by some fluke and right. uh, the gun was loaded and you know yeah. one was in the chamber and it somehow went off and then shot. That would be an accident. Involuntary manslaughter. But yeah. when you aim yeah. and shoot and pull a trigger and you kill somebody, mm-hmm. that's not an accident. And you yeah. look, look at Deuteronomy 19 again. The proof text on accidental manslaughter is an accident. Ax- Head falling off of an axe handle. Right. It means you're chopping wood, and some accident happens. The the, the correlation is like getting in a car wreck. That's the correlation. Right. Not aiming a deadly weapon at somebody and pulling the trigger.
3: And, exactly. And, and speaking of triggers, this is going to trigger somebody, especially our thin blue line listeners. I have to just say I have to say this: if he had been armed and she broke in and he didn't know, I mean it's dark. He's mm-hmm. eating ice cream, mm-hmm. and he's shot and killed her no guilt. See, biblically he would have been absolutely justified,
2: correct? To if she came in pointing a gun at him in his house, he absolutely could have shot and killed her and been um, cop or not consistent with biblical law it and, is. and not murder. Right. In volu- uh, voluntary ma- manslaughter in self-defense which was authorized. Exactly.
3: Well, I think that's the that's the issue when we talk about injustice and relating it to idolatry, we have a huge problem with uh, the police state, <laughs> we have mm-hmm. reckless behavior happening all around us. Right. Um, and like you said earlier, in the name of I, w- I felt threatened. Well, maybe you felt threatened because you're the perpetrator. <laughs> you're Isn't? the one threatening. Yes. And then somebody, you know, steps up and meets back Oh, but, you know, the, the cop is supposed to be worshipped. We're absolutely. supposed to. I mean, there's layers to this. Yeah,
1: there's there's a lot of talk of uh, not showing partiality and due diligence. And that was, those are extremely biblical ideas. Um, but how much partiality do we show people because they have the right kind of badge? Uh,
3: as if their life is more important.
1: As if their life is more important, right. as if they're Uber citizens with a special, uh, you know, <laughs> they're just immune like special immunities towards justice. It's completely partial. Yeah. It's completely partial. And so when this conviction came down as murder, I agree with it. Right. She, she murdered him. She didn't necessarily show malice in her heart, but she showed hatred towards him. Yep. By a negligence for his own safety yep. and not showing any sort of, of real due diligence and su- surveying the situation. Um, it's reckless. It's, it's absolutely, absolutely reckless. But this sentencing, 10 years, that's not justice at all. In fact, there is not one punishment in all of Scripture that tells us we should pe- be putting people in cages. Mm-hmm. That is utterly dehumanizing. So I believe that I, this should have been the death penalty. But at the same the same time, I'm also very hesitant to give our nation state the (laughs) power to kill people. Yeah.
2: As presently constituted. As as presently
1: (laughs) constituted. Because they're not abiding by God's law. If somebody was a witness in this case and said, oh, I saw I saw her do this. um, But he was a liar. Then. He might get a slap on the wrist. Uh, he, he might go to jail, but he's not going to be executed. Right. And that's not God's law either. Yeah. So the whole system is corrupt. The whole system is poisoned. Uh, the whole system is complicit and, and unjust. So I'm very much hesitant to support the idea of our nation state executing people. But God's law says that the just punishment for this should have been the death penalty.
3: Well, okay. So very well. I agree. Yeah. And I, I don't want Trump in charge of the theonomy. Don't give him the button.
2: You know, <laughs> Don't give him the, th- the button. Yeah.
3: No way, but you have this scene with, you know, his brother. So you're
2: you're against mercy, John.
3: Yeah. What <laughs> what are you saying? Because, you know, th- this is a huge, huge, huge discussion right now. You know, th- the video is going is blowing up our uh, our radio page, and praise God, it's getting out there. But there's a lot of discussion on right what is the relationship between forgiveness and justice and mercy and these concepts. I think that's where we really need to take this and because I think there's so much confusion from Christians on this. A
1: huge amount of confusion. I think there's a lot of conflating of ideas and terms and uh, misunderstanding people and maybe thinking the worst of some people who are saying certain things. Uh, So a lot of stuff is going on. But just to kind of harken back to the clip that we played of the brother forgiving uh, Geiger, the murderer. He forgave her and said that he didn't actually personally want her to go to jail. And he also pointed her to Christ. So we have some people pushing back against that. I would say a very, very radical wing who are actually upset at him. Which, yeah. and, and they don't think she he should have forgiven her. Um, and we are standing opposed to that. That yeah. sort of radical wing. Because just as God in Christ has also forgiven you, we should forgive others.
2: Amen. Period. We have to be at least ready to forgive, especially if someone's repentant. And he even said, I don't know if you're truly sorry, but if you are. Uh, and yeah, we have to be ready for forgive. We have been forgiven of uncalculably more sin than we could exact on anyone else. Right. Exactly. When you're comparing it to a holy
1: God. And just like mm-hmm. I was saying earlier, the fact that this is forgiveness assumes and implies strongly that there was something to forgive in the first place. That doesn't mean she's not guilty. Can
2: I also say that I don't know and I can't confidently sit here and say arrogantly, oh, I know I would be just the same as that brother and forgive him because I don't have the grace for that right now. I'm not in that situation. That <laughs> honestly seems extremely difficult. Right. To, if somebody was to kill you know, your children, your family, that you could stand there and tell that person that you love them. That's, it's literally beyond my ability to even comprehend. Because everything would want to just jump over the table and and attack that guy who did that. Um, so, but but we also know that God does give grace in the moment when we need it, and so I would trust that God would give me grace in that moment. But you know, I, I also don't think I would just say right now, oh, I know I would do what he,
3: you well, know, he's what, he, had a, what he, he did. He's had a year Has he, to sit on. It's this. been a while now. Like, yeah you know, September of last of 18. So it's been a year and, you know, God's at work in his life. Clearly, clearly. So, I mean,
2: it is an evidence of grace that he's willing to forgive this. Right. This woman. I mean, how can you deny that? You know, so I agree with you. We that's where we stand. We have to be willing to forgive.
3: But what's the relationship, though, John, with like when you think of forgiveness of an individual, you know, how is that? We kind of talked about it a little bit before. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I think it's an important point to make forgiveness of an individual. And yet there still have has been a crime. There's still been something right. that deserves punishment. No, absolutely. So we believe
1: that, that victims have rights. If you're a victim of, of a crime, you have certain rights. And if I stole from you, Jordan, I would owe you according to biblical law. But you as the victim, you could say, I'm going to give you mercy and I'm going to lessen. I'm going to lessen the punishment for you out of grace and mercy. Yeah. But the problem is Botham was murdered. He is the victim. Yes. And and God's law says when that blood is spilt on the ground, even the ground cries out for justice and the victim is dead. And that's why murder has a special place in God's law where you do have to execute the murderer. Yeah. You do actually have to enact justice. There isn't that option for grace and mercy in that punishment, that specific penal punishment. And I think that's really, really important is that Botham's brother forgave him. And I think that's great. I think that is a Christ-like example of showing grace to him. Uh, uh, to her I'm sorry Geiger however that is not the same thing as earthly justice those right. are two exactly. different categories and I've personally heard many many stories about uh, prisoners and inmates who come to Christ and then their, their their attitude is well I'm sorry I should now be released my, my father yeah. was actually a chaplain for many years in a prison and that happened all the time and they had to be told that yeah, well, we're glad you're a Christian now, but there's still justice. Right. You, you still have to pay for what you did. And, of course, that doesn't take into consideration the justice of the prison right. system, so on right. and so forth. But that is a very biblical uh, category distinction that we have to keep in mind. Just because you might be forgiven, that doesn't mean that there aren't other consequences. Roman, yeah.
2: Romans 13, the civil magistrate is not God's agent of mercy. He is God's servant for vengeance, and that is clearly stated out. If you look at Romans 11 and 12, it's a great progression. Romans 11 talks about being harmonious, being merciful um, with your brother, even when they sin against you. Romans 12 talks about the role of a civil magistrate and he does not have the right to just give mercy. He would be usurping what God has, the role that God has given for
3: him. Right. Interpersonal relationships versus what God commands for the betterment of society, for the right. blessing of, of civilization and justice. And this is yeah. hugely important. Uh, I, I especially
1: am quick to consider situations like spousal abuse or, um, Uh, Just various different abusive relationships whether it's with pastors or um, fathers or husbands where we're called to forgive them no matter how horrendous they are but that doesn't mean that the relationship is going to be the same as it was before. Right. Nor does like, nor should it mean that, like just because you can forgive a, an abusive spouse doesn't mean that everything should go back to the way it was before he was abusive.
2: Correct. And and we, we have to say that had or any of the family members, um, you know, let's say that that Amber was going to be executed for this and rightly so. They could have forgiven her. They could have preached the gospel to her. They could have expressed love for her even, but still um, advocated or agreed with the fact that she should be executed. And that is not at odds. Those two, the, the act of, I forgive you, you know, make sure here's the gospel. Also, you know, this is what you have done. The magistrate is obligated to execute you. Yeah. That's not in, at odds.
3: Yeah. And forgiveness being the discharge of a debt, it's this interpersonal transaction that it doesn't magically wipe away what happened. It doesn't just make it suddenly go away where you can flip a switch and now you don't have any feelings about the matter. It's done and over with. There's residual effect. And that's, I mean, those are key concepts for Christianity.
1: Right. I mean, it's nothing, I mean, it's nothing less than the gospel. Like understanding that we are saved from our sins, but not just because, of nothing. Like we were saved for our sins because Jesus Christ died on the cross. Yes. There actually was justice in that. It wasn't an injustice. And it's similar to how we are on earth where you can forgive but there still has to be justice. So somebody can come to Christ and Christ's blood covers that. Covers all their sins, but that does not mean that there is no justice here on earth. But I wanted to read something real quick. Um, it is actually from an associate professor and chair of the Department of African and Afro-American Studies at uh, Brandeis University. And this was actually posted by somebody on, on, on Facebook. And I read it and I was thinking about it. And I think this professor is close, but he misses it. And this is what he said. He said, many people mistake black forgiveness for absolution of America's racial sins. I think the expectation that blacks are always willing to forgive makes it harder to engage in radical transformative social justice work. Hmm. Wow. So interesting statement. It's, it's close because I I think I, I think I'm very sympathetic to what he's trying to say, but it misses what forgiveness is. And I think it's incredibly important for us to realize that when Botham's mother gets up in front of the news And says something has to change. This is just a start. Something has to change. That my life has to go on, but has to go on with change. That she is absolutely right. Mm -hmm. That Botham's younger brother, his forgiveness of Amber Geiger isn't some sort of complacency or apathy about racial justice or racial injustice. Amen. It is not some sort of advocation or endorsement of... Shrugging off injustice. It's not weakness. It is not weakness right. at all. And I, we just want to say clearly that Botham's brother was correct and right and full of grace and Christ likeness when he forgave Geiger. And his mother was also correct yep. and righteous in calling for further justice.
3: Amen. We don't have to decide between the two.
1: Absolutely. And it's- it has to be together because when this professor says that bl- that the expectation is that blacks are always ready to forgive well i don't think that's right because it misses what forgiveness is mm-hmm. it's it's conflating forgiveness with not caring right not caring about justice where i can forgive somebody who wronged me but there might still be a call for justice and yes. that could be very much legitimate I could forgive a murderer, but God's law says a murderer needs to be put to death because God loves his image bearers and spilling out their blood is an assault upon the image of God an assault upon ultimately God.
3: Yeah, there there still has to be a reconciling of reality. It's not a magic wand that just makes it automatically go away. Right. The, the repercussions are there. The damage has been done. You can move forward and discharge that. But again, that, like I said... <laughs> beating the same drum it's not a magical wand that just makes it all go away
2: martin luther king could forgive his jailer and the people who did him wrong yet you know energetically with all every fiber of his being pursued justice for all his faults yeah he pursued justice absolutely. and those two things like john was getting at are not in contrast
3: to each other. And that's why we like the term social justice because there is a reality in society where things do not line up with God's law, and they should line up with God's law. We're not just gonna, mm. you know, oh, you use that term, you're an SJW. <laughs> we, right. You know, justice we're just gonna in society write according to, to God's, God's law—that's law. social justice. I mean, it's really not hard. I don't know why right. this is such a difficult thing to mm. get over. I mean, there are you know problems with the Marxist vision of that. I get that, but this is not what we're talking about. We're talking about people who, for 400 years. I mean, it's 1609, right? The anniversary when when black slaves were brought here, treated like dirt, beaten, raped. You know, then we go into the Jim Crow era. Like, there's, this is not like something you just sweep under the rug. There is a real problem with race race relations. We know the gospel is the answer, but we also know God's law is part of that as well.
2: Yeah. So if you're a black brother or sister, forgiveness is good for you. For what's happened to you, what's happened to your grandparents and your ancestors, forgiveness is good for you. And don't think that forgiving people is weakness or shoving, uh, shoving under the rug, or that you now can't advocate for justice in the in the present and in the future. Right? You no, know, you go, you do that, and you, you absolutely, know, absolutely, a,
1: a personal and public show of mercy to those who have wronged you is not the same thing as saying what they did was okay. Yes. It's not the same thing at all. I keep on going back to this. The fact that you have to show mercy in the first place assumes the guilt, and we must be fighting against the injustice while still loving those who hate us.
3: Amen. Absolutely. Couldn't say any better. Man, that was that was so much to cover. I, <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> My mind is, is racing still, but I'm kind of feeling tired. But I... Uh, yeah, thank you guys for all for all the work you put into this, and I hope you listeners are encouraged and blessed, and hopefully challenged too, because there's a lot of a lot of work. We want to reconstruct this world to honor Christ. It's going to take a lot of work. So that's it for us. Thank you for listening. A reminder: find us on Facebook, Crossing Crown Radio. Thank you for checking out the shows. Thank Enjoy you for the sharing FCR them. V- video too. Yeah, coming the FCRC videos coming up. So hang tight, um, but we'll see you next week.
0: New Testament church didn't meet in buildings like this. Um, they met wherever they had the space, including private residences. And back in that day, the, with the predominance of the Jewish cross-section in the church, it was pretty natural for them to follow the pretty familiar synagogue model in their meetings. They didn't think they were a new temple. Their, their meetings were kind of in the synagogue pattern And that meant that when they got together, it wasn't just to get their weekly religious fix or participate in some rituals. They came together as a community. Uh, If an unrepentant sinner, God forbid, was kicked out of the church, he wasn't just booted from some place where rituals were happening. He was excommunicated from a mini civilization. Uh, which is not to say, you know, that people didn't go to synagogue to hear the gospel or partake in the Lord's table, but they certainly were not mini-temples, because the temple was in Jerusalem, and that was about to be destroyed right along with all of the Levitical practices. These new synagogues included, they, they adjudicated all sorts of disagreements among the people, if there was charity or kind of the church's welfare program to administer, that was done at the the new synagogue or the church, and uh, it was really more of a community center. They're training children and adults in the law of God and even making business contacts and stuff like that. So it really was the center of the community. church universal certainly is a spiritual temple, a royal priesthood of all believers making up the body of Christ where the Holy Spirit resides among us, but when the Christians gathered in the church visible, it wasn't mainly in the temple model, it was in the synagogue model, it was a civilization, a social order per se. The, The church of Jesus Christ needs to get busy not planting many temples. But planting communities, many civilizations founded on the gospel, guided by the law of God, with a multi generational vision for total discipleship in every realm. This is why things are so messed up in society. We've seen the impotence of the mini temple planting model, and we've seen the utter marginalization of Christianity in the West. And it's because we've abandoned the
1: cultural institutions and created a vacuum. And so we've developed this muddled idea that creating a social order based on scripture is a distraction while the real
0: goal is to just preach the gospel. And this idea is foreign to the actual practice of the church in the New Testament. The Church of Jesus Christ is not just about an event that happens on Sunday in a walled building. The church is called to go and to bring everything into subjection to his lordship by the power of the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ.
3: Well, this is the vision behind the Fellowship of Christian Reconstructionist churches. We, we are called to proclaim the gospel and then we engage in the pursuit of discipleship of, of all the nations in teaching them to rebuild everything on the word of God, starting with their very own lives. We don't achieve that by retreating to holy huddles every week to sort of get away, you know, and escape from the world. We achieve that by equipping and training and sending the church to transform the world in every single realm, to, to quite literally build Christian communities. Uh, don't plant churches just to plant churches. Plant churches to plant Christian civilization.